Welcome to Walk the Tech Talk, a podcast with host Anna Frazetto, Chief Digital Technology Officer and President of Technology Solutions at Harvey Nash, a global professional services company. On Walk the Tech Talk, Anna interviews technology leaders from across the globe and discusses how and where they are making big impacts on their industries. On this episode of Walk the Tech Talk, Anna interviews John Higginson, a technology leader who wears many hats, CTO of Chicago-based Innova, inventor, entrepreneur, and last, but certainly not least, advocate for technology diversity. Specifically, Anna and John discuss their mutual dedication to gender equity in tech, including their work with Ara Mentors, a national organization that seeks to attract, retain, and advance women in technology. John also shares his take on why men need to be talking about gender equity in the workplace and why they need to not only join in the conversation, but also lead it. Join Anna and learn from the strategies and accomplishments of this episode's Tech Trailblazer. Hi, everyone. Walk the Tech Talk is back. It's been a busy month here at the podcast, and I'm happy to share some time here today with another incredible tech leader. John Higginson is the CTO for Innova, who is not only a brilliant mind in the world of fintech and data science, but he's also an inventor and an entrepreneur. And in addition to all that, John is also a vocal advocate for diversity inclusion, or what is commonly referred to as DEI now. Uh, he's a proud member of ARA, a national mentoring association near and dear to me that focuses on attracting and retaining and advancing women in the technology field. I've had the pleasure of hearing John address audiences on tech issues as well as on leadership and workforce issues. There's so much for us to talk about, but let me start by welcoming you to the show today, John. I'm thrilled to have you here. Hi, Anna. It's great to talk to you again. Thanks for having me today. Terrific. So like I said, we've had so many places we could start. I mean, my goodness, it's it's difficult to try to pinpoint it. But what I would like to start where uh, you and I last left off, and that was at a recent TechServe Alliance conference, when you gave a short talk titled, Why is this white male presenting at a woman's conference? Now, full disclosure, a TechServe Alliance conference is not a woman's conference, but you were leveraging a successful talk of yours in which you address a really important issue, why men need to be talking about gender equity in the workplace. It's a clever premise, and I would love to hear you talk about why you think it's important for men to join the gender equity conversation and even lead it at times. Yeah, I love the talk because it is both a, a fun talk to give. It's just a different take on the on the topic, and it, it just also a very interesting way to, to frame it for people. Uh, the reason that I, I, I talk about it the way I do and the, the reason why I think it is important that people who are from backgrounds that traditionally have more power that you know, white males in business do is because I, I think we have an obligation to make things better. Um, like it or not, men do have a disproportionate amount of power generally. And I think what is incumbent on us is at minimum that we are allies, that we are supporters. But I, I think we need to do more than that. I think we need to require diverse candidate slates. One of the things I talk about a lot here at Inova is when we're interviewing people, I want to make sure that the candidate pool is reflective of the broader tech community, that we don't either through poorly written job descriptions or because of networks only talk to white males. And that's one way that as a person in power, you can have an impact. Another is 
you can demand that at review time, you get pay equity stats so that you see the engineers, the testers, the systems administrators on your team who are men and women, that there isn't a pay gap between them. And if there is, that you remedy that. And I think lastly, it's really important to talk about this. I'm a firm believer that teams take their cues about what's important and about behavior from the things that leaders say and do. And I think as a leader, one of the most powerful things you can do for DEI is to actually talk about it, is to actually say, this matters to me, this matters to us, it's a value of the team and the organization, and we are going to work to make it better. Right. And there's, my goodness, there's so much to talk about in that space. You know, of course, I mean, you've heard me say it's 2019. How could we possibly have pay and equity or have some of the challenges and issues that we have today? So as we kind of keep that in the back of our heads, while there isn't time for you to share the whole presentation, do you think you could share some of the most important nuggets or lessons you seek to convey when you give this talk? Sure. You know, first is, you know, to your point, it, it really still is a problem. You know, the, the talk is a, a lightning talk, but I, I pack in a lot of stats. And one of the stats that just to bring this home is the U.S. EEOC most recent survey on the tech industry showed that even today, 69% of the tech workforce in America is still white and 83% of tech executives are white. One of the fun and disturbing stats I share is that the top 1,500 S&P companies, there are more CEOs in that list named David and John than there are women. There's just such a, a you know, such a massive inequity in leadership in businesses. And that's true in America. It's true in, in Europe. And it's it's true in, in other countries as well. The other is I, I talk about the fact that there is a good argument in favor of DEI, no matter where you're coming from. If you're focused on the bottom line, well, McKinsey has done multiple studies that show that more women on teams, on average, will generate more EBITDA for that company and by 10 percentage points. Stanford has done studies on problem solving. So if your focus is on, I want the highest performing team I can have, Stanford has you covered because They've done multiple studies that show that gender, ethnically, and racially diverse teams outperform teams with the same background on problem solving every single time. And not by a little, like by double or three times. So there's good like core business performance arguments to make about DEI. And then lastly, and it goes back to the leadership thing, I, I do think that we have a moral duty to make the office inside look a lot more like the world outside. Oh, I love that. I think that's, oh my goodness, John, I absolutely love that statement, that sentence, uh, because I think that is so, so uh, true. Now, what's funny, what's funny about this, I love this stat. I've been saying for years um, that the best teams I've ever worked on and the most productive, most efficient teams have always been the teams that have been the most diverse. Now, it was not based on science. It was just based on, you know, my managing of those teams and seeing work productivity. And I, I've always looked at it. There's, you know, there's definitely strength in the diversity factor because you do approach things differently. Diversity is not just at the surface level. It's, we're wired differently also. And I think that really has 
such a tremendous power for an organization when you capitalize on that. So I, I love that, John. That's excellent. Okay. So now as we talk about diversity, I have to ask this next question because recently I saw some posts about International Men's Day. As men, they are now not being treated fairly, right? So they're feeling uh, that there's too much focus on just diversity in general, in general, or the gender inequality. So what are your thoughts? You've heard me talk about the pendulum swinging. So is it swinging too far? Uh, no, I, I have a very simple message for men who uh, think that the pendulum has swung too far or that they're not getting their due. And that is just to grow up. They are coming from a place of enormous privilege. And if you can't deal with that, I there's going to be much tougher things you have to worry about than that. I think, look, I, I've you know going back all the way to the Google controversy with James Damore, where you know he broke out his amateur anthropology book and you know tried to say that women couldn't be good engineers, and this whole notion that you know men were being singled out or treated unfairly when you know they're coming from you know this place of really immense privilege is just is just dumb, um, and it's wrong, and it's factually wrong, and I think. You know, for men, the world changes for good reasons. We talked a little bit about that a minute ago, that teams get better when they're more diverse. Companies get better when they're more diverse. And, and I think some of this comes out of, and I've read this too with mentoring, and I feel the same way about this, that, you know, men who feel that they can't mentor women, they're uncomfortable with it. It's like, you know, here's a, here's a simple way to think about it. Women are human beings. They're no different. And, you know, all of us, I think, had a mother, many of us had a sister. You know, we need to think about them as people. We need to treat women as equals and as part of the conversation and not not this alien group that, you know, either can't be let into the club or that we have to be afraid to interact with. Right. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, John. I think, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, do I think the pendulum swings? Of course it does. But I think you know, we're we're talking about hundreds of years of male domination. And for whatever reason that it's happened, it's happened over the course of time. And now I think it's time to start, you know, paying attention more and entertain different conversations. I had somebody challenge me on LinkedIn, which person shall rename uh, nameless, but he said, I don't know why you're pushing so hard to have more women in tech. I've worked with women in tech. They've never been really good. And what do you think? It's going to be 50% male and 50% female. And, you know, my answer to that is no, of course not. I think what we're all looking for is just fairness. Uh, if at the end of the day, it turns out that it's still, uh, you know, dominated by, by men, the fact that we're having the conversation, so instead of it being 10% women, it's now 30, 40% women, that's great. Then we've done our job. We're trying to equalize the playing field out there. So I, I feel bad that there's actually men that feel that they're not being treated fairly because I think quite the opposite. It's, it's been a lifetime of, of treating it in one uh, direction. So anyway, okay, so wonderful. Thank you for all the background. Now let's switch gears and talk about the world of FinTech and Innova. You've always been a creator when it comes to technology. I love building a video game at the age of 12, et cetera, et cetera. Hopefully you'll, you'll talk a little bit about this. What's happening in the FinTech sector right now that really taps into your imaginative and forward-driving spirit? 
Sure. So 12-year-old me would be really surprised that I wound up in financial <laughs> services because 12-year-old me uh, thought for sure that I would be making video games and, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd have my own cabinet, you know, taking quarters in, a, in an arcade when we still had arcades and <laughs> we still had cabinet video <laughs> games. Um, no, but I, I, that's a part of technology and software engineering that I've always loved is just creating things. And I really did get, you know, I think like a lot of kids my age who grew up in the 80s really cut my teeth on figuring out how to replicate games that we love to play and, and then go from there. You know, financial services is at a very interesting inflection point. It is, for a long time, it has been a very conservative industry. If you think about, you know, personal banking, how little that it has changed in the past 20 years. You know, you, there's still banks, you're still, even though there's a lot of automation around it, you know, the process of, of moving money around and getting credit is still largely the same and kind of the traditional banking space. And what's changing is you have now all these different ways of moving money around or moving moving value around and, and getting credit. So you have peer-to-peer money transfers like Venmo and Zelly where you and your friends can you know pay for something and, and exchange money to, to make it even. That goes through, you know, there's payment processing on the back end, but for that's really displacing the way that we used to write physical checks and give them to people to pay for things. There's been a lot of talk about cryptocurrencies in the last four or five years, and there's a lot of potential applications of that idea and of the blockchain technology that underlies it. But I think one of the most likely and one of the most powerful ways that it gets applied is as a way of moving money around, particularly between borders. If you move money between countries, you know that that process and, and the underlying protocols are pretty old and take time and it's not terribly efficient. And cryptocurrencies can really make that instant and can really drive a, a lot of the concerns of fraud out of the system or, or impersonation. And I, I think that will that will make a lot of change. And then finally, I think credit will just become more accessible. The the credit industry, and this kind of gets to the heart of what Innova does, and our, our mission is to give credit to hardworking people. And traditional banking is very much skewed to people who have, you know, high FICO scores and uh, a long history of credit. But that often excludes young people, people just out of college, people who maybe had a, a setback in their life. And I think what you're seeing with technology is it is making the ability to assess credit risk more effective through technology, through things like data science. And it is also making it less expensive to actually issue credit. And that's going to open up credit to a huge population that today is is largely boxed out of it, or, or if they have options, they're not great options for them. Right, right. So now I also know uh, you to be a tech innovator who is always looking ahead. So we have a new year, a new decade that we're starting really soon here. I know. As you look ahead, I know, right? Scary. I cannot believe it's going to be 2020. But as you look ahead, what are some predictions you have for how technology will advance and disrupt in 2020 and in the new decade as it's kicking off? I, I think there's there's two trends that I'm I'm paying attention to for the next decade that I, I think will be impactful in how we, we live and work. So one is the general umbrella of AI, and I'll talk about an application of it, and I'll talk about a technology that will 
help drive it, which I don't, I don't think we talk a lot about, but I really do think will be a big part of it in, in the next 10 years. So AI is like, it's become this umbrella term for everything. It's data science, machine learning models. It is chatbots. It is self-driving vehicles. I, I really think we are going to see AI in, ter- in, in particular autonomy take the place of some traditional roles. Now, some of that exists already. you you see things like IBM Watson being used for medical diagnoses or being used for analyzing legal contracts. And I think you'll see some other kind of traditionally knowledge worker kind of research jobs being taken over by AI. I do think we'll see autonomous vehicles in the decade. And where I think we'll see them first is in high-risk commercial transportation. So if you think about all the rules and regulations around commercial trucking and not having drivers drive too many hours and adhering to traffic laws and and not speeding because of the risk of having a semi, particularly a semi with dangerous materials, have an accident, insurance companies put enormous cost on that. And if you could say we're going to have an autonomous vehicle, a a bot that drives deliveries, whether they're Amazon boxes or they're or it's gasoline, I think that's the first place that you'll see autonomous vehicles take over for human drivers. I think one of the things that will power this, and this is a technology I don't think we talk a lot about, but is is rapidly coming, is quantum computing. Um, So we don't have enough time to talk about it here because it's a it's a pretty deep topic, but it's a different way of thinking about about building software. And there are companies like Google who have invested a lot of money in this, and there are startups like Rigetti Computing that are doing work in this space. But they've rapidly gone from it's a crazy idea to a working prototype to actually doing some real work with it. And the reason it's powerful, it goes back to AI, is because it can learn, it can you can build learning systems that learn much faster and take in lots more information than what, what we think of today as classical computing environments. I think that's going to be one of the things that spurs quantum computing along. Um, the other is, I think we're, we've reached the point where voice applications are a mainstream consumer interface. And we've got uh, somewhere north of 100 million active Alexa users. There's a lot of people who have OK Google uh, enabled on their Android phones. And you're seeing more and more applications. And we were actually surprised ourselves because we did a marketing survey not too long ago and a, a decent number of our customers said that they would use a voice application if we had it. And that was surprising news, but it just shows how rapidly that is becoming, you know, we've gone from from desktop to mobile to now voice as a way for consumers to interact with companies. It's amazing, John. I have to tell you, it's I think 2020 is going to be such a turning point technologically just because we're on the cusp of so many fantastic things. So definitely we should we should touch base in the next year or so and see uh mm-hmm. and see what's developed and maybe we could have another podcast in regards to that. Unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap up the the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Please can you provide your contact information in case if the audience is interested in reaching out to you directly? Sure. On uh, all social media channels, my handle is John J O H N J Higginson, H I G G I N S O N. And uh, if you'd like to email me, uh, my email address is john at j o h n at enova e n o v a dot com. Excellent. Thanks again, John. Thanks, Anna. Good to talk to you. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Walk the Tech Talk. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to keep up to date with Walk the Tech Talk, please subscribe by heading over to your iTunes app. While you're there, 
please rate the podcast and let us know what you like the most about it in the review section. Thank you and happy listening.